If I had a magic wand, I'd make it go away. We understand that. You, you, you would wish for a magic wand just to go, boop, done. And yet that's not how life works. And yet we try to change things. When I was, we have any fifth graders here? When I was in fifth grade, I thought, and some of you have heard this story, I thought if I went by my middle name, my middle name is Scott, I thought that that would magically transform me into a cool kid. You know why I thought that is because the coolest kid in my class was named Scott. I went home and I told my parents, I want to go by Scott now. They said, <laughs> that's good, Adam. Right? That didn't go far. And I've been working with kids, uh, well, not kids, but teenagers for close to 30 years now, which is scary to think about. And for these last 30 years, I've been telling them that I'm simply waiting on my last growth spurt. I'm still waiting. You know, I, I, you, if you wanted to change your height, could you? Now, I know there's some crazy things out there, and you can pay lots of money and have somebody break your bones and make you taller. I'm not that crazy. Those are the trivial things. I heard that. Those are the trivial things. What would I really change if I could? I go back and undo some foolish word or foolish thought. I changed my, the fact that my parents got divorced when I was 12. Or I changed the fact that I had cancer twice. I would want to change those things for sure. What would you change if you could? There's no magic wand. But I do want to tell you today that there is something far better than that. I know you may not believe me. I know it may not seem like it. But grace changes everything. And that may sound like a trite religious platitude that's good for the pulpit, but not for the cubicle. It may sound like a good word for Sunday, but what happens on Monday? I get that. But I do want to show you that grace changes everything because grace is a promise. And grace comes through a person and grace transforms our present right now where we are. Grace is not the first word of Revelation, but it's close. There's the prologue, which is the first three verses. And then following typical letter writing convention of the day, John identifies himself. He says, John to this, and then who he's writing to? John to the seven churches that are in Asia. So that's all very conventional. And also this blessing, but we hear here, we hear in verse four, grace to you and peace from whom him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. These are not perfunctory words. These are words that are transformed by the gospel. Grace is God's free and unmerited favor bestowed upon those who don't deserve it. Sinners who are undeserving and yet are recipients of God's manifest blessing, forgiveness, and mercy through Jesus Christ. In particular, as he gives his life for us and then is resurrected. This is no small matter. We looked at this last week in Romans 5, 1 and 2. And I want to focus on grace this morning and three realities of this promise. It's a promise from the triune God for our rescue and for today and all of our tomorrows. 
That is simply to say that grace has a source. Man can figure out atomic energy and can figure out how to send rovers to Mars, but we cannot generate God's unmerited and more than unmerited, demerited favor. That is, we don't deserve it in any way, shape, or form. Just like the law of the conservation of math take you to school, back to school, grace cannot be created or destroyed by man. It has a source in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Eternal Father, the one who is and who was and who is to come, echoing the language of Exodus 3.14. The Holy Spirit, represented by the seven spirits who are before the throne, seven being a number of completion in Scripture. And there's a debate here, but I do think it refers to the Holy Spirit. And then finally, and from Jesus Christ. So grace has a source. It's the Trinity. And we need a rescue from our sin-soaked world, which includes our sin. Grace is not a feeling, but an action. An action on God's part. When Jesus entered Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday, it was the next step in a rescue operation for us. To redeem us. To ransom us. To rescue us. John Stott defines grace this way. He says, grace is a love that cares and stoops and rescues. God loves us and he sent Jesus and we're one day closer to Jesus returning Again, which means that grace is a promise for today and for all of our tomorrows. There's an echo of what how this passage begins at the very end. Verse eight, I am the Alpha and the Omega. That is the beginning and the end. Says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come the almighty. You know, we can pump ourselves up. Let's do that now, James. Let's pump ourselves up. We can try to take on the day. Sometimes you have to tell yourself, I'm a shark and attack the day. Right? So we try to pump ourselves up and say, okay, I've got this. So give me the next one. I got this. And maybe you've seen that, that meme, but I sort of picture, yeah, I got this, but what am I? I'm just an infant on the beach Faced with all sorts of wind and waves that I really don't got, if I'm honest. You can take that away. I don't have it, but God does. We're merely grasping at sand, trying to build a wall to keep us safe from the typhoon and the hurricane and sin and death and tragedy. But God has us, and he has this, so we don't have to pump ourselves up we merely need to look to the God of grace, which is a promise that you can count on. And that changes everything. And grace comes through a person. That person has a name, Jesus Christ. Every step that he took in this world had a purpose. Grace to you and peace from him who is, and it goes on, and then we pick up in verse 5, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. Grace is who he is. We hear in John 1, 
And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In verse 17, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. It's who he is. This threefold description declares that he is our prophet, priest, and king of grace. The one who speaks faithfully and truthfully. A faithful witness. The firstborn of the dead. We'll spend more time with that concept next week on Easter. But it speaks of him giving his life and being raised to new life for us. And then our king. He is a king of grace. But do not presume upon that grace. That's how grace comes through the person of Christ. And why does grace come through Jesus? Listen to how verse 5 continues. To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood. Why does grace come through Jesus? Because he loves us. And that changes everything. Is that too good to be true? I know it can feel like it. Does God really know me? If he really knew me, then he wouldn't love me. I think we struggle with that on an ongoing basis. And yet scripture declares that Jesus loves us. And listen to the tense. It is present tense. To him who loves us. Not loved us. He did love us. But loves us now. Jesus loves you right now. And I urge you to receive that grace by faith. You may know the story of Beauty and the Beast, very popular because of Disney, but it goes back to the uh, 1700s, first published by a French author in 1740, and it's basically the story, and there's various versions, but a story of a peasant man who steals some food from the grounds of a huge castle. If this doesn't go along with Disney, please, it's been a while since I've watched it. But he he gets turned into a beast, He's held prisoner there. Sorry, the huge castle with the inhabited by a beast. He's held prisoner. He has to give his daughter, who is the beauty, and the beast is really a handsome prince who's been turned into a hideous beast by a fairy. I won't get into that part. And it can only, this curse can only be broken by finding true love. Despite the way he looks, despite his appearance, despite his ugliness, he has to be loved as a beast. And what happens is the beast is dying from a wound inflicted by his enemy, Gaston. And it's in this moment that Belle declares, confesses her love for the beast and gives him the kiss that breaks the evil spell. He has to be loved as he is. The unlovely before he can become lovely. And that's exactly true for us. In our sin, we are beasts. But Christ loves us. And we are set free from the curse of sin and death. And we become beautiful in Christ's love. He loves us now. And what does this grace mean? It means that we're freed from our sins by his blood. Freed. Notice that the tense is different. 
It's something that God has done for you. And you live with the results, the effects of now. You're loved in the present, freed from your sins in the past. What Christ has done by his work on the cross. Fleming Rutledge in her book, The Crucifixion, says the New Testament states unequivocally in various places, in various ways that Jesus Christ came and died for the overcoming of sins. Unless we are to abandon the New Testament witness altogether, we must acknowledge that the overcoming of sin lies at the very heart of the meaning of the crucifixion. That is how we're freed from our sins. Only, she goes on to say, a stronger power from outside ourselves can repair the breach that we live with. The mission of Jesus is understood in these terms in a greater or lesser degree by all of the New Testament writers. And grace comes through Jesus Christ and that changes everything. It also transforms our present. There was a Wall Street Journal poll that just came out. It was done in March. I think it was about 1,300 people, so take it for what it is. But it revealed of those 1,300, one of the questions was, do you think, more or less, I'm paraphrasing, that your children will be better off than you are now? And 78% of Americans are not confident that the life of their children's generation will be better than it has been for them. 78%. 21, only 21% feel confident that their children will be better off. Now, I don't know how you would answer that question. I don't know what criteria you would use. I don't know how you're feeling in the moment. But I do want to tell you that grace can and does transform our present and changes the way that you think about today for yourself and for your children or your children's children. God's grace in Christ fundamentally changes the way that I relate to this world. It doesn't mean it's a fake, happy, clappy version of Christianity. I cry, I get angry, I struggle, but I also experience something deeper. A change that is written into my life by God, not by my sense of whether the world is going in a good or a bad direction. If you wake up and read the news each morning, you might feel a certain way. If you read it every night before you go to bed, you might sleep a certain way. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and, he goes on, made made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. God is doing something right now. We're not just saved from something, we're saved for something. I have a new purpose in this transformed present. And I think this is the struggle that both Christians and non-Christians feel and experience. It often does not look like, if you're looking at us, I'm speaking to Christians, if you're looking at the church, you're looking at the way that Christians act, you may say, well, I don't see a whole lot of transformation going on. And that, that is true sometimes. I assure you that I would not want, though I am in many ways, to be the spokesperson for Christianity. How would you feel if I said, today, you're the spokesperson for all Christians? Yeah, um, can you catch me on a better day? 
I didn't get enough sleep last night. I'm going to be irritable. Right? We don't always see a lot of transformation, but we must remember that that transformation is a process that God is doing. It's what we call sanctification. And we receive a new position and a new purpose and a new hope. And it's something that God is doing in us. Not you individually, though it is God's work in you, but us together are present. We need one another. We receive a new position. We are a kingdom, John writes. No one is a kingdom unto themselves. It must be experienced in community. Do you know what a kingdom of Adam is? It's a failed state. Or, or a cult. And you can come join me, I guess. Now, we are part of the kingdom of God. And that is a kingdom that cannot fail. And that gives us community and connection with one another. We're also given a new purpose. We are priests and worshipers. I don't know how you feel when you hear that. And made us a kingdom and priest to his God and father because you have a sense of what a priest looks like or what a priest does but this is using language that we find all in, back in the old testament in exodus it's brought forward into the new testament that we together as we are shaped and changed by god's grace become priests to our god and father that is we represent the work that god is doing we serve as mediators to the world around us of God's gracious covenant that he makes through Christ. When we declare and demonstrate Christ's love and sacrifice, we are fulfilling that purpose of being a kingdom and being priests to his God and Father. We also have the purpose of worshiping the Lord. You see this as it ends, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. It ends with this note of praise. We are brought together to give praise to God. And our children are going to sing from Psalm 148. A portion, or at least based on Psalm 148. And that psalm ends with this. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above heaven and earth. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him, praise the Lord. And so we come together with this new purpose, this new position, this new transformation being worked out within us. And on Monday, the unthinkable happened to a PCA pastor and others in Nashville. It's a church in our denomination. I don't know the pastor, but I know people who know him. There's lots of connections it's not far away, and that pastor lost his own daughter. I won't go into the details. You likely know him. But he lost his daughter, Hallie, and he said, We are heartbroken. Through tears, we trust that she is in the arms of Jesus, who will raise her to life once again. I don't share that to manipulate emotions, but to show you how grace in Christ changes what we cannot change. It gives us a future hope that affects today. It's not wishful thinking or a mere 
hope. Christ not only entered Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday, but he stepped out of the tomb a week later. And he will return again to those who've been changed by his grace, and we will know a final and full transformation. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be made like him because we shall see him as he is. What would you change in your life if you could? There are things I wish were or weren't. I might wish I were cool, but I don't think that's ever been used to describe me. I'd like to be taller, but... I'm taller than Lydia and Karen. That counts for something. I think. I wish my parents hadn't divorced when I was a kid. And I hate, hate cancer with a white hot passion. I wish I'd never been diagnosed or anyone else I've ever loved. But in God's grace, you know what I can say? I wouldn't change a thing. Because I want to be changed. And we are being changed day by day by God's grace. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to hear your word. For us to come together to sing our praises, to hear children, to receive your gifts. Lord, would you do your work in us here at North Hills and those who've gathered with us and the people that we know and love. Lord, we long to see transformation in our own lives if we're honest. Sometimes we're busy looking out at the world and saying they need to be changed. But Lord, we pray that you do that work in us and then through us to your praise, honor, and glory. Father, we can't do that ourselves. It has to be your work. And so we pray for it by your Holy Spirit and through your Son, our Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our children, once again, are going to help us to praise God. And they're going to sing Hallelujah, Psalm 148.